those basic boxes, I definitely think need to all be checked on day one or else it's just not a good look. I'm Eric Wilson, managing partner of Startup Caucus, the home of campaign tech innovation on the right. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, you're joining in on a conversation with entrepreneurs, operatives, and experts who make professional politics happen. We're joined today by Amanda Elliott, a political digital strategist and author of The Doom Scroll, a newsletter about the world of digital politics on the right. Previously, she was digital director at the Republican Governors Association, and she's been innovating in the digital campaign space for more than a decade. In our conversation today, you'll learn more about the RGA, the unique challenges of gubernatorial campaigns, what she's learning as a newsletter writer, and what to look out for in presidential campaign launches this year. Amanda, how is the RGA different from the other party committees that our listeners know about? That's a really good question. Um, I'm sure everyone's already familiar with like the RNC, the NRSC, the NRCC, um, and, and everything that they do. The RGA is a little different, um, obviously, because we focus on governors, first of all. So that sets us apart. But we operate and function a lot differently because our races are all state races. We have to abide by every state's campaign finance laws and all their regulations around how we raise and spend money. So, you know, we just operate a lot differently from the other committees who kind of focus on federal races. Yeah, I think I think people don't don't appreciate how good they have it at the federal level where it is one set of rules for all uh, 435 races if you're in the House or all 30 plus races if you're in the Senate. And it is different from state to state, which means you can't just run the same playbook over and over again. So that makes it really one of the most challenging campaign committee jobs in town. It really is. And, you know, there's a good reason why, you know, I had like our general counsel almost on speed dial last cycle because it was just everything, everything is so different. And seriously, like from Arizona to New Mexico and Nevada, like all their their laws are, are so different. And just even the reporting requirements and their dates for like when things change, like, you know, and maybe this is true at the federal level, too. But like, even a, you know a certain amount of days out from the election day like reporting requirements change and so you just have to constantly be remembering like okay I cannot spend this money or I can't push go on this ad campaign until I you know tell our CFO that we're doing it and like you know he can report it to the Secretary of State and, you know and there's really no tweaking campaigns like if he reports something is going to run from like the fifth to the tenth of the month like it has to end then it can't like just keep going you know so there's a lot of legal stuff to work through at the RGA that makes it different so nationally there's a lot of focus on what happens in Washington right but one of the things that we are hearing as the parties look at post 2022 and, and figuring out what do they do for for 2024 is that there's a lot of discussion about the role of the top of the ticket in specific states. And I think one of the challenges is, again, that national versus state. How does a gubernatorial campaign differ from what we typically see at the federal level? 
at the RGA, I know our political team tells our candidates all the time to just focus on local and state issues. So, you know, they try really hard to avoid the national narrative. And it's not always easy. Like there's a lot, I mean, we had a lot of races this last cycle where, you know, the national media would descend on a state or a race and try to nationalize it and try to bait our governors or candidates into talking about national issues. And we would just constantly tell them, take it back to the state, go back to whatever is happening in your state. A lot of times it's similar to national storylines, but a lot of times like there's issues in these races that, you know, are not going to capture national attention for good reason, but, you know, are important to people in that state. So we just tell them, got to keep it focused. You have to stay disciplined and stay on message. Um, This past cycle, like a good example, I guess I would point to is Georgia national media went to Georgia, they were down there constantly, obviously, because Stacey Abrams is a big national figure. But there were other dynamics around that race with Donald Trump and primary and how that played out. And, you know, Brian Kemp, did an amazing job just sticking to talking about how he had delivered for the state of Georgia. And it really paid off for him. And he stayed on message um, and did an excellent job at that and, you know, ran away with his reelection. And, you know, Glenn Youngkin is similar story in Virginia. He um, that was also a state, you know, and probably because it's so close to DC, but the national media descended on Virginia too last year. And, Um, Once again, like he just talked about state issues. And that's really the biggest thing that, you know, sets them apart from other federal races is they need to talk about local things, but also they can because they're running to be an executive of their state. So they're not going to DC anyway. So there is more freedom in what they talk about. It definitely is more of a, well, it's unique in that it is an executive role. You're not going to go vote on bills, even at the state or federal level, where you're one of 100, one of 400. You are the person. You're uh, you're at that desk. Right. Yeah. And there are challenges with it. You know, obviously, um, when you can't really run on Washington or you don't want to run on, on like Washington issues, it's maybe a little harder to fundraise. It's harder to kind of raise awareness about your campaign or get people to care. Um, so yeah, it comes with some challenges, but um, I don't think, you know, we would, I don't think we would trade that though. So from, from a digital perspective, you mentioned Brian Kemp and Glenn Youngkin. What are candidates doing to overcome the nationalization of the races, you know, I'm just thinking about 2022. It was unavoidable with uh, the Dobbs decision, right? So it, it threw one of the biggest national political topics back into the laps of states. But maybe that's not the right issue for an example here. But how do you deal with overcoming that? One obvious way is to always like try to take that national narrative. If that's if that's what people are really focused on and you can't escape it, then you got to always like tie it back to you know, what's going on on the ground and what you've done on it. So um, I'm trying to think of a good example, but crime. So that's actually, right. a good, that's a good example. Like everyone was kind of talking about how crime was the big issue of, 20, of the 22 midterms. And it was, but a lot of our governors, instead of just talking about in general, like we need to crack down on crime. It was, here's how I'm supporting our local police departments. Here are the resources that I've given them. My opponent supports releasing criminals back on the streets or my opponent released people early from prison and then that person went back out and committed another heinous crime or whatever. Like there's always ways to localize it. And our governors and the candidates did a really good job of taking those national issues and kind of and localizing them and using specific stories um, 
So, like, um, I want to say it was Nevada or maybe it was New Mexico. There were a lot of good examples of um, you know, the Democrat governor had released prisoners early um, and then they had gone back out and committed more crimes. Well, that's a great a, a great anecdote to take that story and, like, turn it into a, a digital ad or turn it into a TV ad and, and um, use it in, some, you know, some digital ad creative and peer-to-peer and email. And, um, just and I imagine of- your ability to localize that. Yeah. Yeah. geographically is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think it was. It helped us a lot. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the, there's also kind of a role with governor's races of, of civic education, right? Where, where voters may only consume political news that has to do with national issues. We have to educate them on, on the role of the state. It's kind of sad sometimes, but it does provide an opportunity and, and especially these incumbents where they have a record and can point to it. What are some other trends that stood out to you from gubernatorial campaigns last cycle when it came to maybe using new technology or new methods? What might people have missed? The trends that we've seen at a national level, we also saw on the state level too. Like the governor's campaigns did a lot of CTV and that was new. To me, that indicated kind of more of a recent willingness to like experiment with new platforms and diversify like their ad budgets and where they were spending their money and kind of doing less of that social media ads like Facebook and more like, okay, we're going to test out some CTV and lean into peer to peer. So I saw a lot of campaigns really experiment with new platforms and just be more willing to try new things. So that I, I to me, that was like my big takeaway from the governor's races of the cycle. Well, that's good to hear. You're listening to the business of of Politics Show. I'm speaking with Amanda Elliott, former digital director at the Republican Governors Association. Let's switch gears now and talk about the doom scroll, which has instantly become one of my must-read newsletters each week. <laughs> You've uh, just started writing that, and I know lots of people are always thinking about how to add their voice to the conversation with content creation, and I really do think that that's one of the best ways to make a name for yourself in any industry, but especially ours. You're a few weeks in. What are some early lessons that you can share? Um, Some early lessons. Okay. Well, it's difficult to answer just because I started, like you said, I, I didn't start writing this until January. So I'm pretty much in like campaign dead season. Um, <laughs> so there's not there's not a whole lot of campaigns for me to work with right now in terms of just like gauging what they're doing. But there's still- Yeah, you put um, together a really good newsletter every single yeah. week. Yeah, so okay. So I was going to say, um, there's one really good, um, maybe a little bit surprising thing that I've found is that there's no shortage of things for me to talk about. And I find that encouraging, like even though it is January and an off year. So that's awesome. I think one thing I have found that I I still kind of see our side struggle with a little bit, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but I'm a little bit surprised still at how digital maybe still seems to be like an afterthought or like not priority, or it's viewed as just a vehicle for fundraising. And that last one like really kind of grinds my gears a little bit. And maybe just because I'm biased, because that was never my focus at the RGA as digital director was not all about fundraising. And maybe that's another thing that, you know, sets us apart from the other committees. I didn't live and breathe fundraising because I didn't have to um, for various reasons. Um, so it, it bugs me a little bit when I still see digital just treated as how can we rake in dollars from people. And I think maybe that would be a mindset that I would like to see shift a little bit. And I still see that a lot. Like as I'm looking at, 
digital campaigns and what kind of ads people are doing right now and like kind of how their entire campaigns are like oriented. It really is interesting to be, I, I, I think it's probably the curse of measurement, right? Because we can measure everything that happens on digital, there's an expectation that it needs to be doing something, right? Where, you know, oh, you need to be raising money. That's sort of the instinct. And But there, there's so much more to it, as we know from what people spend. So uh, I do think that it, it's probably the, the fact that we can measure so much that people have such high expectations. Yeah. So it's it's almost like, you know, if we're, if the political team is going to give us some budget or whatever, it's, it's it's almost like well we have to see something asap like we have to immediately see what we're getting for it or else um it's hard to see what the point is of digital i i I think Mm -hmm. like there's still that kind of old school mindset um that drives me crazy a little bit but um i don't know i i'm i'm optimistic that it's that going to change and shift. Well, I mean, look, it, it is so much better than it was when we were doing oh, this 100%. 10 years ago, right? So we're, we're making progress every day. And the thing that I, I think that we're struggling with, if I could diagnose it, which is everyone in our industry knows that you need to do digital. They don't understand why. Yeah. Always. <laughs> why are we doing digital? And uh, I think some of that's just a gap of cultural or, you know, how how did you come up in campaigns and, and that's going to shift. I do think you're right. And part of the reason why I started Doom Scroll is because I was frustrated at the end of last cycle, not only just by our results, but just by seeing like the, the numbers, like the metrics, the like how much Republicans were outspent and how much we were out fundraised. And it just like, it just really bothered me. And I just was like, where's the introspection in our industry, like us as digital strategists, how are we going to do better? And not that digital is the problem or the sole problem or whatever, but we're a part of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we should be kind of examining, okay, what did we do this cycle? What worked? What didn't work? What can we do better? Where are we going to innovate? And how are we going to change so that in 2024, we can have this big red wave that we all thought was going to happen last year? Yeah, the solution is clearly cultural, is shifting the culture in our industry. It's We have access to the same technology. We have the money. And one of the things that you're doing with the Doom Scroll to shift that culture is gathering lots of data and details about campaigns, digital efforts. Share with us some of the sources that you rely on to build out those stories and and maybe ways that listeners can use them for their own research if they're on a campaign or watching something specific. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And honestly, like, I wish I had a more sophisticated answer for you, but it's honestly, it's just taking advantage of the ad libraries that are out Mm -hmm. there. So the Google political ad transparency report, Facebook's political transparency, like ad library, whatever they call it going through the Snapchat ad library. It's not like there's that many out there. I think maybe that's all there is, to be honest. Yeah, um, uh, Microsoft has one yeah, that they, they update. Yeah. Um, and then just kind of, um, I subscribe to as many email lists and um, <laughs> SMS lists as I can find, which is also very um, brush, like whatever. It's kind of irritating, but you know, I'm taking one for the team. Um, and so I, I subscribe to every list I can find just because I want to see what everyone's doing. And I just kind of watch for trends. I read between the lines. I, you know, if I see a candidate's email pop up and, you know, arrive in my inbox and I know I didn't subscribe to that person's email list, I'm definitely going to spend a few minutes going down like a rabbit trail trying to figure out like how I got on their list. Cause that's just interesting to me. And it happens a lot. Like I get a lot of emails from campaigns and I'm like, how, I, I have no idea how this person got my email. 
Um, so I subscribe to a lot of lists. I do a lot of like internet sleuthing. Um, and I get a lot of, um, you know, text messages. I'm sure everyone can relate to this. I get a ton of text messages, even from people that I didn't subscribe to. And so I go down the rabbit trail to try to figure out like, who is this person or who sent this text? And a lot of times it, it requires me to like click on a link and read the disclaimer on the WinRed page, which also bugs me, um, a lot. So like anyone listening, if you're writing peer-to-peer text messages, you should like introduce yourself in the message and say who you are. Um, I think that's right. the best practice that we need to be doing. Don't make people click on the link to figure out like who sent this to me. That's my answer. It's not super sophisticated, at least not yet. Like maybe um, there are some other things out there that I should be doing that hopefully like I'll learn and figure out. But um, it really is just keeping an eye out on things, checking the ad libraries and um, reading disclaimers and figuring out like who's doing what and looking at. It sounds like it's more about knowing what to look for. Yeah, that's probably a better way of putting it. And so, you know, once you know what the stories are, you you know, as a practitioner, the tactics you see, oh, okay, this is what, oh, yeah. what I can tell. And honestly, like, I, this is something I learned a long time ago. Um, I'm not above asking people for insight. <laughs> like, I bug you all the time. Um, and I, I just, I have a lot of friends in the industry and I'll just ping them and be like, hey, what do you think about this email? Or what do you think about this news article about such and such like fundraising or whatever. I don't mind asking people for their thoughts and opinions. I'm not going to like publish it unless they say yes, but I'm always gathering information. Well, it's obviously presidential campaign launch season. We're seeing new launches every week. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it feels like it's earlier and earlier every cycle. I think some of that was, was Trump launching in November. What are you looking for in digital rollouts at this level, what's going to keep people from from getting in trouble with the doom scroll with their launch? I mean, there are some pretty basic digital boxes that I think need to be checked. And if you don't have these boxes checked, it's just a sign that maybe you were rushing or you mm-hmm. just don't take digital seriously. Um, and those boxes are things like you need to have, I, I still think you need to have search ads. I, I kind of wrote about this are search ads still necessary? Like, yes, I think they are. Um, I think you need to have a good quality, solid website, um, a basic merch store, and lots of forms for email and SMS um, signups. And I also will go look at their social media presence. If you don't have good content already up there that's like branded well and has like cohesive messaging, like I'm going to definitely judge you on that. So those are some basic things, basic boxes that I think you need to have checked. Like how did you announce? Do you have a video? And if so, how did you put it out? And there's some innovative, cool things you can do too around text messaging and just how you you know run your ads. Um, but those basic boxes, I definitely think need to all be checked on day one or else it's just not a good look. Yeah, I do really stress with candidates that the launch day, the announcement of your campaign is the first, last, and only day yeah. when you control the, the the timing of something. And so if you don't have the whole wraparound of a digital campaign no the, you, you, and you rush, you're missing out on all this momentum. Yeah, I agree 100%. And especially if you're not ready to accept like emails and um mm-hmm. And phone numbers and gathering all this data, like and you announce people, that is like prime time where people are going to be Googling your name, 
trying to figure out who you are, what you're doing. And if you're just not, if you're not ready to capitalize on all that, I think it's doing a huge disservice to your campaign. And honestly, like this launch day was probably on your calendar for weeks (laughs) and months. Like there's really no excuse to not have everything ready to go. I mean, is that because they don't have serious digital people at the table for that conversation? Maybe like, maybe that's still an indication that the cult, like they have everyone else lined up and ready to go and all the consultants and the comms people and whatever, but there's just like, haven't filled the digital role yet. Um, so sure. There's I, from what I've seen so far, yes. Um, that there is an element of that. Um, and there, there are probably some other exceptions to this too. I should say like, um, it is, uh, it's a little bit harder to just like flip a switch and turn on Facebook ads right now, for right. example. And so there's, there's other reasons why maybe those might not be up on day one, but as a general rule, you should still have some ads somewhere mm-hmm. or else you're just missing out. So let's look into the crystal ball for a second. What's one thing that might not be standard operating procedure yet that every campaign, whether it's president, governor, Senate, all the way down to House or lower, what's one thing that you think every campaign will be or at least should be doing by the end of 2024? I think we're going to see a big shift in how campaigns approach fundraising And so by the end of 2024, there's going to be a lot more realization that we need to be more sophisticated and creative with our fundraising tactics. And I don't know exactly how that will play out or what exactly that will look like Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, But directionally, that's where you see this going. Directionally, that's where I see this going. And I think there's going to be, it's going to be a night and day difference between the end of 22 and the end of 24 in terms of how our side manages our fundraising programs. Well, I want to thank Amanda for a great conversation. Go to itsthedoomscroll.substack.com, subscribe there, and you'll you'll get the Doom Scroll and Amanda's insights every week. Uh, really is a, a must read. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes, of course. If this episode made you a little bit smarter or gave you something to think about, maybe even it made you uncomfortable because you're not taking digital seriously enough. All that we ask is that you share it with a friend or a colleague. Remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you get your podcasts and you'll never miss an episode. We also have email updates now. You can go to businessofpoliticspodcast.com. With that, I'll say thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.